With Elevate 150 from Notre Dame Federal Credit Union, you can grow financially stronger and so can Redeemer Radio. Visit NotreDameFCU.com slash Elevate. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Church Life Today is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union and our listeners. When a Catholic parish is being what it is called to be, what does that look like? What are the marks of healthy and vibrant parish life? If we really tended to questions like these, we might find ourselves changing our perceptions of what it is we want from our parishes. And that, my friends, may very well mean that we have to change what we ourselves give to our parishes. My guest today invests her time and energy in helping parishes realize their mission, especially through forming Catholics for lives of vibrant discipleship. Catherine Coolidge is Director for Parish and Diocesan Services at the Catherine of Siena Institute. She joins me today to talk about where we are in parish life, where we should be, and how we get from one to the other. I'm Leonard DiLorenzo. This is Church Life Today, a production of the McGrath Institute for Church Life and the Spoke Street Media Network. I'm glad you're here. Catherine, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much, Lenny. It's a pleasure to be with you this afternoon. So, Catherine, a few weeks ago, you and I exchanged some messages. And in the course of our kind of chatting back and forth by these messages, you had told me that you've been part of actually quite a number of parishes over the years, uh, I think mostly because of your your husband's military career, as I understand. So moving around, you've been into and out of different parishes. But one of the things you said in our exchange that really caught my attention is that you've really noticed a pretty dramatic change in parish life really in the last five five years or so. So I was wondering, as a place to start, if you could tell us a little bit about this change or the shift that you have been noticing. Sure, I'd be glad to. So as you noted, I've been a part of a number of different parishes, in part due to my husband's military career, but also due to my own work in parish ministry. Mm -hmm. So that would be bop us in and out of different parishes. But in the last five years, I had noticed that the stories I was hearing on the road when I would be out presenting for the Catherine of Siena Institute, as well as my own personal experience, I had noted a bit of a shift. And this is what the shift looked like. I had people coming up to me. One person said, you know, he says, you know, that famous picture of Jesus, you know, I'm standing at the door and knocking. And he says, and you know, in that famous picture, there's no handle on Jesus' side, but there's a handle on our side. And we're supposed to open that door. And he said, I can't find the handle for the parish. (laughs) (laughs) For the parish. He can't find the handle for the parish. He can't find the handle for the parish. And so I had him unpack that a little bit for me. And his story was very similar to many stories that I've heard. There's been a lot of emphasis in parish life in the past five or six years about being welcoming. How can we welcome people into the community? And so when people do show up at our door, very often we welcome them in, but our efforts seem to end there. Mm -hmm. A lot of times what people say is they feel like they've been thrown into parish life. And what they've observed is that there are there's a core of people who are very active and engaged in the parish. And this is very true, you know, typically in many parishes that I speak with. And this core of active engaged people are very 
closely knit. They have a lot of relationships amongst themselves. Many are involved in several different aspects of community life. So, you know, so they have these friendship groups. And what's become more and more obvious is breaking into these friendship groups gets to be a little tricky. And I think there's a number of things that have that play into that. One of the things that I think is in part social media. On social media, we have the capacity to curate our friendships. So we can be friends based upon common interests or common opinions on a particular issue or whatnot. And we've taken that into real life. Hmm. And so oftentimes we tend to find ourselves in very homogenous groupings. And so when someone comes in from the outside Unless we have the ability and the capacity to be able to enfold that person into our group and to learn and to grow in relationship with them, we have a di- we're going to have a difficult time growing our groups. And so I often hear parishes, as my work as the director of diocesan and parish services, I'm out talking with people, and that that's a common thing that theme that I hear is how can we grow the core if you will. Mm -hmm. How can we grow that core of engaged parishioners? Well, I think it actually roots back to something that's more fundamental. And as I talk with parishes, what I realize is the level of spiritual development, what we often call thresholds in the using the language of forming intentional disciples by Sherry Waddell, who is the executive director of our institute, When we look at the spiritual passivity, which is a typical norm of most parishes, most parishes sit at trust or curiosity. People have a trust. Perhaps it's a trust in the local parish or in the church in general or in their friends who are Catholic. or And they may have some level of curiosity about a relationship with God, but very often they say, well, you know, a deep intimate relationship with God, that's something for father, for sister, for the saints. That's not something for me. But yet what we find is when we talk with parishes and you find people who are developing that relationship, they find they have a common ground. And in that commonness, they begin to expand that friendship grouping. They also begin to see themselves differently. They see themselves as brothers and sisters in Christ. They now have a commonality and they can begin to explore a common purpose or mission. Yeah. I think part of it is yes the the polarization we're seeing in our society on so many levels with many different dimensions of just human life in society today. But I also think it's that lack of spiritual depth yeah. that you know As we make disciples, as people come into relationship with Christ, it draws them into relationship with one another. Yeah. You know, Catherine, when you mention, uh, say, the core group at a parish, I think many of us would immediately know what you're talking about, right? Like we could probably name the five or six or 10 people who tend to be at every uh, activity, who tend to run the activities. They're the go-to people. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I think, you know, thinking of this from uh, the perspective of those who administer parishes, the pastor or the pastoral team, the core can be comforting, right? Like, you know, these are the people, if you go to them, they're going to do it. And it very much is a kind of activity within parish life. They're the ones who are active. So I guess my question there... If the core is comforting, 
And as you mentioned at the beginning, we're doing, we're putting a lot of work into welcoming people into the parish. It seems, and I wonder what you think about this, like what we're welcoming people into, maybe that's where the issue is. Like, so my question is, what do you think when we welcome people into parish life, what are we really, or what ought we be welcoming people into? Not just to be part of, you know, just to be here, but it's, it seems it's got to be something else. So it's not just the new professional class, which is the core group and everybody else is sitting there passively. So what are we welcoming people to? Well, that's a very good question, isn't it? Yeah. I think we have to fundamentally go back to what is the purpose of the parish? You know, one of my favorite documents by St. John Paul II is his document on Christ's life faithful. And he talks about the different models of parish. He talks about parish in many different languages. He pulls images from John the 23rd, as well as some others. He talks about the village fountain to which all can come and quench their thirst. But fundamentally at the core of every one of those models that he uses is Jesus Christ himself. So are we calling ourselves into deeper union with Christ and are we calling others into a relationship with Christ? Because here's the challenging part. Yes, we do have a core and I think your language is very well put of this professional class of parishioners, they're sort of the professional parishioners. (laughs) But what we find is when we speak with them, only about 10% of those are disciples themselves. Hmm. That's what, and that's talking with lay leaders, priests, and bishops. They say that's about where their core sits. So we're asking them to share a relationship and to share a life, a Christian life that they don't even have, they haven't even developed themselves at this point. So this is where looking at the parish and what is our focus and what is our vision? Do we envision ourselves, say, as a community of intentional disciples, where we are all in relationship with Jesus Christ and in relationship with one another by virtue of that relationship with Christ? Because that's fundamentally the the vision of the parish, Hmm. is that it should be a microcosm of the universal church. This is Leonard DiLorenzo. You're listening to Church Life Today on the Spoke Street Media Network. My guest today is Catherine Coolidge, Director of Parish and Diocesan Services at the Catherine of Siena Institute. Where you you were just talking about there, about uh, the parish as bringing us into relationship with Jesus Christ as the community of disciples. It seems to go back to that first image that you were sharing from that story or from the from the anecdote that you were sharing with us, that conversation with that, that parishioner when you're on the road who said, you know, the handle to the door between us and Jesus is on our side. And he said he can't find the handle in the parish. So right. it seems like that resonates with what you were just talking about, right? That maybe the parish and many in the parish are gathered together, but without the openness to the full relationship with Christ. So you said something just a moment ago in relation to that, that I think might've been surprising to some people, which is of that core group of parishioners, you said, you know, maybe only 10% of them are disciples themselves. Now, some people might be might be wondering, what do you mean? Aren't they all disciples? I mean, they're in the church, they're baptized, they have gone through the sacraments of initiation, they're clearly active in parish life. So what do you what would you mean that maybe 90% of them aren't disciples? How could you break that open for us? Oh, sure. Absolutely. So what we're talking about is what is a disciple? Hmm. And a disciple is one who has responded to the invitation of Christ to follow him. 
and it's irrespective of baptismal status. You can be a baptized disciple. You can be an unbaptized disciple. But someone who has come into a relationship with Christ to the point that they've heard that call and have said, yes, I will follow you. So in our Catholic tradition, we understand that this is a call that we answer within the church. So it's not a me and Jesus moment. It's actually following Jesus in the midst of his church. Hmm. Now, it's a very common situation that we encounter on the road. And pretty much the norm is about 10% of the core is already disciples. So the question is, how can you grow that? Because there's a number of things that we have noticed noted that are related to parishes that be, that begin to make disciples. First and foremost, something that we're noticing that's important is having some kind of intentional corporate intercessory prayer for the renewal of the parish or the diocese. We've seen this on both the parish and diocesan level. Because when we begin to put ourselves before the Lord and we pray for the renewal of the parish and we pray for the emergence of disciples and we pray that people can come to know Jesus, there's a number of things that happens. Number one is God answers our prayers and we have seen God move. The Archdiocese Mm -hmm. of Detroit is an excellent example of this. We were in and out of the archdiocese in the early years when their year that they had of corporate intercessory prayer. The other thing is it changes us because as we pray, we begin to believe that this is possible for us as well. And so helping the helping the entire parish, but especially helping the leaders to begin to pray for intercessory prayer can be helpful. Finding ways that people can begin to talk about their relationship with God and hear one another's stories, what we call breaking the silence. This is a key piece. Um, something that I've, I work on and I, I put out there on our website a number of times is um, pray with scripture, meet God. And it's just a simple way of, being, of preparing by reading the gospel for the coming Sunday's liturgy. But we provide a little small group format and just a, you know, it's, it's not very complicated. In some, some ways, it's pretty cheesy. But all we're trying to do is provide a means by which people can come together and begin to talk about who is Jesus for you in the gospel. Because what we find is when people begin to share their stories, they begin to see it's possible for me to have a relationship with God and I'm not alone. Mm. So if we can begin to help people break that silence, those are the first two things that we find that are critical. So when we think about, let's say, activating people for a fuller discipleship and parish life, this seems like it has to do certainly with uh, changing the way in which the parish, the the self-understanding of the parish, there isn't a thing called the parish, but at least Mm -hmm. like where those who form the parish, the understanding of what this community is, that's part of what's subject to the formation. But then it would also seem that there's a kind of formation for parishioners themselves. Because I imagine for many of us who approach parish life, we're we're only looking for a certain kind of thing, right? Like the expectation right. is part of it. And so we find what we were expecting to find. And that seems enough, a place to go to mass, maybe every once in a while to go to a festival or to have some kind of faith formation activity, a reading group or something. But how much of this do you think is about the formation of the desires or expectations of parishioners that we would actually want more, and how much of it is 
the change on the side of the parish, that the parish actually maybe expect and provide more? I imagine it's both of these, but how do you think about uh, those two sides of it? You're, I think you're absolutely right. It's both and. Mm. One of the things I think we have to do is change the perception of what is our end. Hmm. A lot of times parishioners think all you want is my body in the pew, my money in the plate, and a little bit of my time to keep the trains roll on, on you know, running yeah. on time in the right. parish, right? And oftentimes the message that we give is is reinforces that. Yes. So I think part of it is we have to change our message and we have to be more explicit about teaching what is Jesus' vision for the community. He said, I am the vine and you are the branches. That doesn't mean that the parish is a branch office of, of some corporation we call Catholic. <laughs> you know? So what we're taught, what does it mean to be a branch grafted onto Christ? And then what are the implications of that for us as a parish? So I think that's that's probably one of the first things is to help people begin to make that mind shift of what do, you know, what does the parish exist for? And then what is my role? Now, one tool that can help people begin to break that open, actually, is the called and gifted process that we use at the Institute. Mm -hmm. The called and gifted is it's a three-part process. It's a workshop, an interview, and a, then a small ongoing small group discernment for about six to eight weeks afterwards. What it does is it, it, it's a way of discovering how has God gifted you for mission to help build up the kingdom of God. And in, and in this process, we begin to discover our own charisms, but we also, for many people, it's the first time that they come face to face with the fact that God is calling them to do something more than simply go to mass and sit in a pew and contribute to the ongoing maintenance of the parish, that God's actually calling me to be an instrument of his love and provision, not only in the parish, but in the world. When the parish begins to speak of that as the call of lay people and that the responsibility of the parish is now to become a house of formation to help raise up disciples and equip them to be lay apostles or missionary disciples in the language of Pope Francis, the call to gifted can be part of that process. It's not only helping people identify and own their gifts, but it's also seeing how they can work together. I'll give you a quick example. Please. We did a workshop at a parish and the business manager and the head of the hot foods ministry. Let's just say they, they tended to have places of conflict. <laughs> <laughs> the business manager and the hot, I can imagine where the conflict is coming in. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so the business manager needs the receipts yes. from the hot food guy. I have a business right? manager too here in our Institute. I understand the need. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And you know, God bless Tom. He was the head of the hot food ministry. He, he, he introduced himself to me and he says, my name is Tom and I feed people. I mean, you got yes, it right there. You it. know where that guy's that's headed. It. You know, you got a good sense of where his gifts may lie. Well, the thing was, they were constantly in conflict because Tom wasn't really good about getting the receipts turned in on time. Or if they showed up, they were covered with his famous chicken chili. <laughs> But here was the thing. They went to a called and gifted workshop and I was standing up at the front and I saw these two people looking at each other across the workshop. The fascinating thing was they began to realize 
they saw each other in the charisms as they were described. Uh. And they began to realize the source of their conflict was just that they weren't respecting each other's missions mm. and they weren't aware of it wasn't personal. It's just that's the mission that God had given them. And so they worked together. They found a solution to the problem. But people begin to see themselves as that, you know, that image that St. Paul gives us of many parts, but one body and how we can all come together to serve. And it changes the relationship. It it changes, it expands and transcends that mere human social fabric to becoming what John Paul II called the communion. Uh, that's the ideal. Yes. It's, not an, it's not an easy journey. It's a year's, if not tens of years project to get to that place for a parish. But it does start with shifting what is our vision. Yes. Who are we and what's the end for which we've been created? This is Leonard DiLorenzo. You're listening to Church Life Today on Spoke Street Media Network. I'm talking with Catherine Coolidge, Director of Parish and Diocesan Services at the Catherine of Siena Institute. You drew our attention there at the end to the image of communion. This is perhaps the mission, the identity and the mission of a parish. It is a mm-hmm. place of communion that's called to foster communion. And you tied that just before that to St. Paul's image of the one body and the many parts. On that story you were sharing of the business manager and the hot food director, ministry director, you are saying that they didn't necessarily see each other's mission. And it strikes me that as you're talking about that, part of the mission for the Christian in the parish as a disciple is not just to claim your own mission, but part of your Mm -hmm. own mission is to support the mission of others. Exactly. That – yeah. And if you think yeah, about that in the modern world, yeah, yeah, like we're constantly in competition with each other in all other facets of life. But here, the image of success, you could say, is a healthy, vibrant body, one communion. Right. How does this – I mean that seems like it might be one of the most difficult things to get over is that it's one thing for me to claim my own mission, but it's another for me to develop the kind of vision to see somebody else's and to play mm-hmm. a part in helping them to claim their mission. How have you seen that play out in some of your work at different parishes? Is it true that that's, that's a very difficult hurdle to get over? It is a difficult hurdle. And one of the critical pieces of it is it goes back again to St. John Paul II and his document on Christ's Life Faithful. Communion and mission are coessential. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, my capacity to be able to see your mission and respect it is going to grow as my relationship with Christ grows and my openness to exercise theological virtue of charity, mm. because that changes how I see the world. I no longer see myself as an individual because as I grow in charity, I begin to see that God, what God's calling me to is not merely to love one another, but to love others as he loves them, mm-hmm. to love the person that he has created and to extend the love that he has for them through me. So that begins to change. And when I see people come to this place, it begins to change everything. Because now I can begin to see that I cannot complete the mission God has given me unless I'm in now communion with my brothers and sisters. Yeah. What does the healthy parish look like then? The healthy, vibrant parish when it's really claimed this mission as disciples together? 
You know, one of the things I sat at a parish one time that was on its way to this place and they worship differently. Hmm. You get a sense that at worship, they are together in prayer and they are together in praise. I sat in a parish meeting at one parish and they were just beginning, but they had a core of disciples who were beginning to come together and pray together. And one of them began to ask the question, who is not at this table who should be here? They were getting ready to launch a big initiative. And so you begin to see that you're you're not in this alone. It doesn't rely merely on you. And you begin to see people coming forward, what I often call the Nicodemuses in the parish. They're sort of the disciples that are, you know, around the peripheries in those darkened regions of the church sanctuary. And they begin to come forward and they'll say, something's happening here and I want to be a part of it. Now, it's not, you know, this is not Nirvana. (laughs) (laughs) This is, you know, and there's going to be a lot of conflict along the way, because as we see in Paul's letters, disciples still fight and they still argue. Yes. But I think it is a possibility, but it starts with putting Christ at its proper center. Very good. Well, Catherine, if people wanted to follow up on some of the work that you're doing, where could they go to find you? They can find me at the Catherine of Siena Institute's website, and that is Siena with one N, S-I-E-N-A dot O-R-G. Or they can email me at Catherine at Siena dot org. Or they can find me on the Facebook group, Forming Intentional Disciples Forum. Search for it. Feel free to join, answer the questions, and one of the administrators will let you in. Excellent. Well, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for this time and for breaking this open with us, Catherine. It's been so good to have you. Oh, it's been a pleasure to be with you too, Lenny. Thank you so much for inviting me. Welcome. And thanks to all of you for joining us on Church Life Today. Church Life Today is a production of Spoke Street Media and the McGrath Institute for Church Life at the University of Notre Dame and is brought to you in part by Notre Dame FCU and our listeners.